Hello, Patriots! Welcome to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. Bringing you insight from outside the mainstream, I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the consequences of corporations not remaining neutral on political issues, Fauci finally admitting the obvious, and I give my view on the State of the Union. Next, on Living with Liberty. said many times on this show that in my mind corporations should remain neutral and out of the political arena. In my mind it boils down to the fiduciary duty to the shareholders that corporation has, the fact that that corporation has the duty to maximize shareholder value and that is hard to do when you are picking political sides, when you are pushing agendas that alienate half of your customer base and potentially even half of your investor base. Disney and their shareholders found out what happens to that shareholder value when the company comes out, or when a company, I should say, comes out in vocal opposition to something, in Disney's case, their vocal opposition to the Florida law that banned the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity to kindergarten through third graders. I mean, that was just a common sense thing. This is something kids that young don't grasp, shouldn't have to grasp, shouldn't even be pushed. And Disney said, no, we ab- we oppose that law that's banning that teaching to, to that young of an age group. Now, Disney made the choice to forget who their core customers are when they decided to come out in opposition of the law, that core customer base being families and young children and children of all ages, really, but I'd say children of that age particularly. And subsequently, because of this, they saw their share price and their profits drop. There's also consequences to those actions as well. So Disney came out and said, ah, basically, we're not going to protect kids. We want to, with this law that's meant to protect our children, we oppose it. Well, there's consequences to those actions. Disney's in their right, I guess, as a corporation to do that. I think it's wrong as a corporation. They should, corporations should stay out of political issues like that. But they didn't. There's consequences to that. So because of Disney's opposition to that law protecting children, Ron DeSantis and the legislature in Florida also revoked the law, or I should say they're, they're, they're changing it or amending it. Uh, at any rate, they're, they're, they're changing this law that basically made the Disney World and properties there a self-governing entity outside the purview of the municipal governments in and around Orlando or Orlando itself. The district there now will be governed by a board of directors that will oversee government services that the district provides to the Disney properties in the area. So they, Disney lost their autonomy over this, this uh, basically special municipality, really, is what was created by this law. Uh, for Disney that their properties sit on. Of course, Florida Democrats are crying about how this is retaliation by DeSantis for Disney voicing its support of the LBGTQ community. That's not what this is at all, and, and people are missing the point on this. They're missing the point of what this is about. What this is, what this, the DeSantis creating this 
special board of directors to oversee the district that the Disney properties now sit on is a consequence for not remaining neutral on an issue that has been a major concern for parents has been an issue that is really, you think about it, what put DeSantis in office was his, and, and what won him a landslide election was his stance on just the sexualization and brainwashing of our children. Right. So this has been a major concern for parents. It's been a major uh, flashpoint for parents. We have politicians in Florida taking action against it in the Democrats. Uh, all they can do is complain and cry about how it's, it's retaliation uh, against Disney for their, their support of, of the uh, alphabet community. No, it, this is a, it's straight up a consequence. They, and this is why corporations should remain neutral in political issues. It's a consequence for not remaining neutral on an issue. They picked a side. It's the side that the majority of the constituency in Florida, if you go by how the vote went down there, is against. And now there's action, more action being taken against that. It's that simple. It's a consequence of actions. It has nothing to do with any retaliation. It's a consequence saying, you're not Disney, you deal with children. You, your, your core customer are children. You're not going to protect children. Well, then we as a Florida legislature and the Florida government are going to take steps to do that. We're going to take steps. You've been granted this special, basically special immunity to run your own district. We're going to take that away. It's a consequence of actions. It's not retaliation. It's a response to protect our children. Disney has shown that they'd rather sell out to a fringe movement that wants to sexualize our children and brainwash our children. And the consequence for that not only is the loss of revenue and stock price that they've seen, but it's also the loss of the autonomy they've enjoyed over this special district surrounding their properties. Actions have consequences. You're welcome to say or support whatever you choose to, but there's going to be a consequence potentially to those actions. Consequences can be good or bad, right? But there's going to be a consequence to it. And in this case, the way our culture is going, how we've all woken up to what is actually going on with the perversion of our children, the over-sexualization of our children, the brainwashing of our children. Disney's on the wrong side of this, plain and simple, and shows why you should not be, as a corporation, voicing an opinion one way or the other and picking sides. I don't care what the polls say. At, at the end of the day, you're alienating half of your customer base at a minimum. Subscriptions are one of the big ways podcasts get discovered, so if you could, please do me a favor. Whatever platform you are listening or viewing on, please hit that subscribe button. It will give you an alert whenever a new Living with Liberty is published, and the subscriptions help us get into the recommendations so others can find the show. All right, moving on. They can't hide it anymore. The truth is finally overwhelmed the, the bureaucrats and the propagandists to the point where they can't hide it anymore. America's least favorite garden gnome, Tony Fauci, is finally acknowledging that the COVID and flu vaccines don't work very well. Welcome to the party three years late on the COVID vaccine and however many years late on the flu vaccine. I hate to call those vaccines. They don't, they, vaccines prevent illness and, and neither one of these do, right? So 
uh, let's call them therapeutics, I guess, my what I've said I should be calling them, so we'll call them that. Now, Fauci recently wrote this in a paper. Vaccines against both COVID-19 and influenza have deficiencies, including that they elicit incomplete and short-lived protection against evolving virus variants that escape population immunity. Well, again, these aren't vaccines if they're not if they're not giving protection, if that protection's short-lived, a vaccine is intended to give you immunity indefinitely. That's that's what the definition of a vaccine was. We've changed it now to anything you stick in your arm. And as we've seen with the COVID jab and the flu jab, they don't work. The flu jab might work a little better, right? But that's still something you have to get year to year. If I have to get a vaccine year to year, what good is it? It's not a vaccine at that point. It's a therapeutic that might give me some added protection against whatever's floating around during that particular uh, flu season or COVID season or whatever you want to call it. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that that um, we have deficiencies in, in these so-called vaccines or really therapeutics. The COVID jabs weren't tested properly. We've had no long-term data on the actual effectiveness of them when they were approved. The flu virus evolves year to year, just like the COVID virus does, and that jab is a best guess at what the dominant strains are going to be in any given year. The flu jab should have been an indicator that the COVID jab was probably going to suffer the same fate of ineffectiveness. I called it way back when, when it was ready to go, that this is going to end up, this COVID vaccine or jab, excuse me, is going to end up being a year-to-year thing because it's it's a virus that constantly evolves. And, and the, the therapeutic they were putting out there to inject in your body was really set up for whatever that first variant was. And now they're working on subsequent ones. And now they're to the point where they have to take their best guess. And we just did a story a couple of weeks ago about Pfizer and how they were uh, how they, one of their um, executives there were, was caught saying how they're basically doing what they call directed evolution, gain of function, basically, to see what was going to be the next per- potential mutation of the virus so they could come up with a vaccine. At, at any rate, it's it should have been, the flu vaccine should have been an indicator, right? It should have indicated that, hey, we haven't had good luck against viruses. They They mutate every year. You know, the best thing we should be doing is looking at uh, therapeutics on how we can help people lessen their symptoms or what have you. So they, they, but, you know, we as a society didn't think about that. We don't think about those things, right? As much as we should have thought about it, we knew the flu vaccine jab, whatever you want to call it at this point, is is ineffective. Uh, we got caught up in the continued propagandizing, the fear-mongering that surrounded COVID. It caused a lot of people to not question things they might have otherwise. We listened to the experts. We've been conditioned to listen to the experts no matter what, right? That That's just how we, that's a fact. We've been, we've been conditioned that way. The fact that neither Moderna nor Pfizer tested the vaccines to verify that they did indeed prevent transmission should have been an indicator that maybe the jab wasn't going to be all that it was advertised to be. But we didn't look into that. We didn't uh, we didn't ask questions. We've been like I said, we've been so conditioned to listen to experts 
and not look into things for ourselves, that when Fauci claimed that the jab would prevent transmission and that if enough people got jabbed, we'd achieve herd immunity and we would eradicate COVID, we'd believed them. We believed them. A lot of us did. I, I, from almost day one, was, you know, you go back. I was on that train. I'm like, this isn't going to be that way. Look at the data itself. You dig into the data itself, and it just showed that we didn't, or, or Moderna and Pfizer, neither one of them tested to see, does it actually prevent transmission? But that didn't, that didn't keep the propagandists from lying to us and saying that it would, and that if enough of us got the, you know, the, the jab that we'd, we'd, we'd achieve herd immunity, that, that, that didn't happen, right? People got sick. What, what, what's going, what's really driving the immunity now is people actually getting the virus and getting a better immunity to, to the virus from the natural infection than what anybody that took the experimental therapeutic got, right? They got a short-lived, uh, a short-lived, um, uh, a short-lived protection against it. While those of us in studies and it's continually evolving, right? And if it evolves further, we'll, we'll, you know, make note of it here. But those of us that the studies I've seen, those of us with natural uh, immunity, the, it's longer lasting, potentially lifetime. That was one study we covered here, potentially lifetime. But I know people that have, have, uh, that haven't gotten jabbed and have gotten COVID multiple times. So, you know, again, the virus of, evolves to evade the natural immunity too. And w- but we don't think about that. We got so caught up in our fear. We got so caught up in l- the lies of the government saying we can help you. And we, we certainly trusted the, the government bureaucracy when they said, I, we can protect you from this, stick this in your body and we'll be fine. Oh, uh, guess what? We need, uh, you took the first two. Okay, we need a third. We need a fourth. We need a fifth. Now it's okay. You got to have one annually. It, it, when does it stop? When do we stop trusting these fools and stop taking them at their word and say, prove it with the data that you have? Prove it with the clinical study. We didn't do that because we let fear drive our decisions. We let the thought of, hey, this is something new, but we can eradicate it, drive our decisions to not question what we were being told. Like I said, people actually believe what Fauci said. And those of us that actually looked into the facts, that actually looked, what did they actually cover in these studies of these rushed therapeutics, these rushed jabs? What what did they actually study when they did this? And those of us that questioned those studies and questioned things and questioned the use of masks and questioned what the long-term efficacy of the jab was going to be, we're the ones that got shouted down and were accused of being the ones that were killing grandma. That's what we got because we went against the groupthink. You see how groupthink is powerful and it's dangerous. It can be dangerous, I should say. And we saw it here with this whole COVID scam and the, the jab scam that resulted from it. You still have people today, oh, I got to go get my 80,000th jab. Why? The first, you know, 79,999 didn't work, so why are you getting another one? You, you like being a pincushion? Question stuff. And, and make your own evaluative, uh, evaluate your decisions of, of your health on your own. And, and don't point at me saying, because I choose something different, that I'm the one that's spreading things. Uh, I'm 
not. I'm probably spreading it just as much as you are. Look at the data. Of course, all that, you know, said, it turns out those of us that actually questioned things were right. And it turns out once again that the government lied to us. It turns out that since people can't be propagandized with the COVID nonsense anymore, government officials are starting to tell the truth. You got Fauci saying, yeah, that COVID vaccine, it's not really that great. We need something better. There's not going to be anything better. You look at respiratory viruses and the history of trying to put together a vaccine to control them, there hasn't been much success. There just hasn't. The common cold's still around. The influenza's still around. COVID's still around. When it comes to viruses, it is very hard to get a vaccine together that will fully control them because they'll mutate. Now you have some that are very slow mutating or don't mutate at all. Uh, Polio comes to mind, right? We've been able to have that thing under control for decades now with a vaccine. Uh, Things like, I think, whooping, cough, and mumps. We've been able to have those types of uh, diseases under control with a vaccine, but those aren't respiratory viruses. They're not ones that are evolving with any sort of of, uh, uh, expediency. Not like a, a flu virus and a COVID virus and a cold virus. Those things are constantly... Uh, evolving to not only now evade your natural immunity, but there's probably uh, just constant pressure from people getting these jabs that cause it to mutate even more. Uh, So uh, you look at the history of the thing, the history wasn't even on the side of having a successful COVID jab to eradicate the disease. It just wasn't. It, It doesn't happen with respiratory diseases. Now, the other piece here with this whole propaganda campaign, getting people to take the jab is just the destruction done to many institutions because of the lies and the propaganda and the obvious power grabs that COVID um, caused, really, right? We we had bureaucracies lying. They didn't want to admit that they didn't actually know what's going on, so they just continued to lie. And they continue to lie in the face of of data. We had uh, health bureaucracies that never had so much power grabbing more, trying to grab more, trying to keep people down. And, and, and again, in the face of data that suggested otherwise, that suggested that the, the measures that were taken were harmful. You, you've got the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, Big Pharma, and numerous others that throughout this all have shown themselves untrustworthy. They just have. Instead of telling the people the truth, instead of coming out and saying, this is an evolving situation, the data says this now, but it could change, they continue to lie to the people. And they continue to lie even as data came out contrary to those lies, solid numbers came out in the contrary to those lies, these entities still continued to lie. They continued to lie in the face of data that showed the jab was ineffective to show that masks weren't stopping the spread, to show that the jab wasn't going to stop transmission, and that COVID wasn't nearly as deadly as being as was being purported to be. It, it just wasn't. Yes, there were groups at risk, and those groups at risk needed to take the precautions they needed to to mitigate their risk. 
But by and large, the majority of the population was fine. People got COVID and recovered. Now, do some have long-term issues? Yeah. There, there's long COVID out there. That's a thing, right? We're not going to say otherwise. I know people have experienced it. But to say that it was deadly and that, and that, that uh, we need to just keep everybody locked up and everybody needs to be a pincushion in order to go back on society was wrong. It was lies. It was propaganda. It was propaganda by bureaucracy that had usurped power it had no business having. The medical field destroyed their credibility by just pushing this propaganda from the CDC instead of doing actual science, instead of questioning things for themselves, instead of saying, hey, I've been a doctor for a while, that doesn't seem right. They just continued to push what the CDC said, which is wrong. We're not doing science at that point. We're just doing politics. The politics say everybody take this, this experimental jab So as a medical professional, a lot of them just pushed it without question, without question. And they did damage to their credibility in doing so. People would have understood that the situation we were in with COVID was an ever-evolving one. They would have understood that COVID's a new thing. We're still learning about it. They were learning that the treatments were new and that data changes were going to occur based on what was happening with the virus and its mutations and how it was circulating. People would have understood that. Tell the truth. And people would understand that. They might not like it, but they'd certainly understand it. Hey, this is something that's continuing to move and evolve. As things evolve, you know, we're going to update our guidance. Fine, people can live with that. But what they won't live with and what they won't tolerate and what destroys credibility is continued lies and propaganda that make people then wake up and realize they've been had and now they start questioning. So in that respect, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It got a lot of people to wake up and think for themselves for a change instead of just relying on the word of of some government bureaucrat who's only interested in their own power. So that was a good part about this. But at the same time, it's like if they tell the truth, though, from from the beginning and show what the real data is saying and not try and bury it because they didn't bury it. It's out there on a CDC website and and a NIH website and a FDA website. It's out there. They just relied on people being too lazy to go look at it. Just tell it, it would have just been easier to tell the truth, but no, they wanted to keep us under their thumb. And now the credibility of a number of institutions has been destroyed. I don't trust them anymore. You shouldn't either. I mean, the medical field, a big one, that's one we should be able to trust to do actual science, to be looking at things as they evolve, just went along with the political narrative, by and large. There were a lot of doctors out there that questioned things. And guess what? They were shouted down as conspiracy theorists with the rest of us who had looked into this stuff. The medical field and truthfully all government bureaucracies could have saved face by acknowledging that this was a changing and ever-evolving situation and being truthful about it. Uh, But instead of doing that, they chose to try and increase the power they had and the power that they had usurped from the people by lying to the people. Again, health bureaucracies never had so much power in their life to shut down a community. 
There's no reason to trust any government agency ever. There's no reason to trust any pharma corporation ever at this point. And hopefully we've, by and large, learned that lesson here, that we should not trust at face value what the government's telling us. We should not trust at face value what pharmaceutical companies are, are telling us. Honestly, any corporation's telling us. They're spinning everything to make, put themselves in the best light, to usurp power. It's a symbiote between the government and these large corporations. Follow the money. We've, I, I hope we've learned that lesson, that we will question everything. And hopefully the medical community learned a lesson here, and they'll go back to doing actual science and keeping up with the ever-evolving data surrounding any future uh, pandemics or, or you know, flu outbreaks, etc., it's always changing. That's the, the whole nature of science. It's never settled. And that's one thing we heard. Settled science. There's never settled science. Things always change. Data always changes. Right? You might get to a point with things as they've matured and evolved where maybe it is, it is a little more settled. But something as new as COVID was, and still is, relative to other viruses and things floating around, the science is not settled on this. We're still learning about it. The virus is still evolving. We're still trying to keep up with it. The science is never settled on something like that. So that's what the medical community in particular can go back and gain some credibility by saying, hey, look, we've got to look at this stuff and how it's evolving and keep up with that and not just rely on what the FDA and CDC are telling us. If you're listening to the audio-only show and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or are viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit the Rumble or Thumbs Up button. Actually, I'm still banned on YouTube for another week or two, so catch it on Rumble. (laughs) The more interactions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms, and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right, finishing up for the day. Biden gave his state of denial speech last week, and it was full of the lies, mumbles, and propaganda you would expect out of his soup cooler. Now, I had time to digest all of that over the course of the last week here. Think about it. Um, I'm going to give you my take on the state of our union here. We have our troubles, no doubt, but there are some things we should be optimistic about as we look at the overall landscape, as we look at things at a high level, day-to-day, as long as this Biden regime is in place at the federal level, it's, it's going to be a, an absolute clown show. Uh, but you get down to our local levels, your state levels, your local levels, there's a lot to be optimistic about. And we're starting to see that honestly bubble up to the federal level. And you know what? These things that we have uh, that, that we should be optimistic about, none of them are any of Biden or his regime's doing. They, they're, they're things that... I think he's done that has spurred people to action and to look at things in a different light and to um, and to become more engaged in what's going on in their communities, honestly. So I, I think, and I think with that, we have a lot to be optimistic about. But first, we'll go over what's not so good right now about uh, uh, about the state of our union. Now, no matter what Biden says, real wages are down over the past year. He made that point that wages are up. In his speech, they're they're down, and that's not just my word for it. You can go and look at the statistics from his own labor bureau, 
to confirm this, if you put and you put it into Google, so put it into you know leftist hack search engine, and you put in um, real wages, it'll pop up and it'll show you uh, within the top three articles. It it returns the search returns that from the Bureau of, of Labor Statistics, real wages are down. Inflation continues to take a bite out of people's wages, right? You're paying more for stuff. So that means you have less money to go around, which effectively means you're earning less. You, in essence, are getting poorer. That, that's what that means. You're getting poorer. The, as, if, you're, if your annual raises don't outpace the, the rate of inflation, you get poorer. If you get a 3% raise and inflation's 6%, you are losing out on 3% of your wage. It's just gone due to inflation because your wage hasn't been raised to keep pace with inflation. And that's what Biden banks on people not knowing. I should say Biden's handlers. I don't think Biden's that smart to to know that it's whoever wrote his speech, but you're, you're poorer. It's just a fact. And Biden's own Bureau of Labor Statistics points that out. The hacks in Washington continue to inflate away your money with their reckless spending. That's in, that's Republicans included all these Republicans that want to send money over to Ukraine constantly want to send whatever to Ukraine, want to spend more money to produce more bombs so we can send it to Ukraine. And we don't, we don't have the money in, in the budget to do it, so we borrow money, we print money, and it inflates our money. Now, putting a real number to it here, and this is from, again, from the BLS website, Bureau of Labor Statistics, real wages decreased by 1.7% from December 2021 to December 2022 you are getting poorer and they continue to spend money like uh, like sailors on shore leave and without consequence to them then there's this one there continues to be this massive push towards electric vehicles towards the EVs anybody that watched the super bowl and watched the commercials saw that they were littered with the automakers peddling their EVs even though we don't have the infrastructure to support charging vehicles on a mass scale, we don't have infrastructure in place from a, a revenue standpoint because gas taxes are what, well, supposedly anyway, are, are there to pay for improvements and, and maintenance of roads, right? But we know the transportation, uh, the transportation budgets get raided when it comes time to balance budgets and those end up running short. We don't have anything in place to say, okay, what are if we're going to have a bunch of EVs running around all over the place, how are we going to maintain our roads? We don't have the 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 infrastructure in place from a from a uh, tax collection standpoint on what we're going to do to to uh, monitor that. And oh, by the way, mileage tracking your mileage is out of the question. That that's a violation of privacy. You don't need to know how many miles I've driven a year, government. So that's off the table, should be off the table anyway, as a, as a, a way to determine, you know, what the what what someone should be paying 
in terms of, of taxes for their road usage. The government continues to pick economic winners and losers by providing massive subsidies to industries like companies that are making EVs. And this all goes to the detriment of innovation, right? We're not looking for any alternatives. The government's already, do you understand that what the subsidies for the EVs, EV makers are, has already determined that the government has picked a winner in this industry and it's anybody making an EV so what is that going to do? That's going to squelch innovation of any other alternative method of, of powering vehicles. It's going to, nobody's going to look at investing in hydrogen because I don't have a subsidy for hydrogen. We're not going to get hydrogen stations all over. Hell, we don't even have charging stations all over the country yet for these EVs. So good luck taking a cross-country trip in your Tesla. So they've already picked winners and losers, and that's that ends up... That ends up to the detriment of innovation. It ends up to the, the detriment of our choice as a consumer. And it ends up to the detriment of our economy because the government is meddling in something that shouldn't meddle in. The market should decide if people want EVs or not. If people want EVs, there will be a market for it. What they're doing is creating a, an artificial market for it by providing massive subsidies, which, oh, by the way, we saw that story last year where uh, that that spending bill came down, and there was the the seventy five hundred dollar credit for buying a new EV, and and then Ford up their prices of EVs by eighty four hundred dollars. So you're never even going to keep up with the 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 pricing of it if companies are going to keep doing that. These EV makers. So it ends up to detriment detriment of our economy because there's there's not the innovation. There's not. Uh, the really the market's not picking the winner or loser in a, in a call it the competition of what technology is going to be the next greatest thing. The government's already picked it for us by providing massive subsidies to these companies. And oh, you know, don't forget too where these subsidies come of uh, come from. They come out of our tax dollars. So what ends up happening with that? They end up in these spending bills, and I think it was I don't remember. I think it was the infrastructure bill, maybe that they tuck this stuff into with the uh, the EV credits. I don't remember exactly which bill it was that got passed at this point last year. Um, might have been the one mansion caved on uh, that was a little later in the year, one of them at, at any rate. Um, the subsidies come out of our tax dollars. So what does that mean? That means they then become part of the deficit because we know we don't have a balanced budget. So what do they have to do to make the budget? They have to borrow money. So how are these subsidies being paid for? Well, they're being paid for in part with borrowed money. We don't have a balanced budget. Now, you can, they can play all the accounting tricks they want and say, well, we're only borrowing for you know, this over here or that over here. The subsidies really are made up from, uh, are being paid for from the, the tax base, whatever, right? At, at, some, at some point, the subsidies have to be paid out to these, these companies and to the consumers. Right. So they then become part of the deficit overall. It doesn't matter how you split it. And what does that mean? Then we're printing more money. So it contributes to inflation. So not only now are you poorer, as we talked about earlier, but these clowns want you to to, to purchase, what, a $50,000 EV when a $30,000 gas-powered car will do just fine. And really, that gas-powered car isn't as big of an environmental liability as the overlords want you to believe. 
So not only they're making you poorer, they're saying, "Hey, we we picked the winner. It's going to be this more expensive, um, more expensive vehicle." Oh, by the way, we're giving out the subsidies. We're giving out the tax credits. Oh, uh, automakers see that, say, "Oh, we're going to actually just raise our price by at least the amount of that tax credit, so we can rake in more on these EVs." It's just an endless cycle of stupid. The government needs to not be involved in providing subsidies for these types of things. Let the market decide. The innovation is going to be a lot better. We're going to get a broader choice here on things, right? We'll see, oh, well, I think maybe hydrogen's better than, than a battery car. Let's go with that one. The market, let the market decide. The government playing in the market is of no help. It only serves to stifle innovation and, and really where the market should end up. Now, the other thing here, um, Joe said oil is going to be around. We're going to need it for at least 10 years. It's going to be around for longer than that. Oil is going to be around for as long as it needs to be around. That could be 100 years, 200 years. Who knows? It's going to be around for a long time. The overlords just want to cut it off from us as a, as a fuel source because they want to limit your mobility. You think about electric cars, and you think about how there's no uh, charging stations out there, and you think about the range of an electric car compared to that of a traditional gasoline or diesel-powered car. You can go twice as far, if not more, in, a, in that gas-powered car than you can in, a, in an EV. Right, so they, they want to limit your mobility. They want to, to make it, right, they want to make it tough for you to move around. So what's what's one way to do that? Well, you have to plug your car in. Now, I know Tesla has these superchargers. The charge is in 20 minutes. Well, I can fill my tank up and go in five, right? Pay at the pump and I go. I don't even have to take time to walk into the, into the uh, convenience store part of the gas station. I can pay at the pump. I can go in and out in five minutes. Now, you want to sit around and wait for your car to charge for 20, 30 minutes? and then go another 200 miles and then have to do it again? Or do you want to be able to drive on your, your gas-powered car for like eight hours, 400, 500 miles, and then fill it up, spend another five minutes filling it up, and then you're on your way again? They want to limit the mobility of people. Why would you pick, why would you pick something like an EV over uh, and declare that the winner, right, instead of alternative an alternative like hydrogen, which you'd fill up a fuel cell and you'd have the same kind of range and mobility, right? So they want to they want to try and limit where people are are going, how far they're going. You can do that in an EV. It, the, again, you don't have as much of a range in an EV as you do in a gas power vehicle, especially when it's cold. We've talked about that before, how cold saps batteries. It just does. So even in the winter, I mean, I've read stories about and heard stories of people like not running everything in their car just so maybe they'll have enough juice in their batteries to get it back home. Those that own an EV or a Tesla, something like that, right? Oil's going to be around for a long time. Oil distillates go into tons of everyday products. Perfumes, hair dyes, cosmetics, soap, plastic bottles are made out of out of uh, petroleum distillates. Household cleaning chem chemicals have a lot of compounds in there derived from oil uh, refineries or, or oil refinement. You've got synthetic clothing fibers that have oil distillates in them. You know, your nylon and, and rayon and whatever else. 
These shoes, your shoes, sports equipment, electronics even, and that includes those in the EVs the elites want you to buy to save the planet, so to, you know, so they say. You have oil products in electronics. And what's an EV? It's all electronics. You have oil in lubricants. You have oil in construction materials that are used to build your house. And then the other thing here is natural gas heats many homes, as does fuel oil. Now, notice how the corruptocrats never address how we're going to heat our homes in the absence of oil products, right? Just that we need to get rid of our oil. And they really focus on getting rid of oil in our cars. So it goes back to my point before, they don't really want you going anywhere. It's easier to control you when your mobility is, is restricted. So this isn't about saving the planet. It's about, and it's not really about getting rid of oil. It's about getting rid of the mechanism that allows you to move about freely. The only thing we can be sure of here is that as long as the climate alarmists have the corruptocrats' ear, they will do all they can to make the oil products as expensive as possible. That includes the oil products of everything I just listed of what oil distillates go into. And once again, they are doing, by doing this, they are doing what they can to make you poorer, to make you more dependent on the government to make you less able to get around and, and communicate with others around the country, to go visit others, to get ideas spread across the country. They want to limit the amount of contact people have. Our elected officials, this is the next one here, our elected officials have sold this out to China. That should be plenty apparent to you, you all at this point. Even before China floated their spy balloons through our airspace with no reaction for days from the Biden administration, the vast majority of corporations and elected officials were unwilling to call China out on their human rights abuses and their aggressive posturing on the world stage. Don't even start. How, you, how many times has the NBA shut down talk, critical talk of China? I believe it was a Houston Rockets uh, general manager that ended up resigning, I think. I remember right, because he was actually spoke out and was critical of China. The NBA didn't like that. He ended up getting in, getting in some hot water over that. I think he ended up resigning over it. Nobody speaks out against China. Why? We've been sold out to them. That's why. Why do you think now they're shooting down unidentified objects around the Chinese Chinese spy balloons? Now, okay, um, you know, people got pissed off, so we better look like we're doing something about it. That's all this is at this point. If people didn't say anything, if the media didn't grab onto it, if they weren't, you know, embarrassed by it, then we'd have more balloons floating over our airspace. I guarantee it. We're so sold out to China. The corruptocrats in Washington have so sold us out to China that it takes... Uh, it, it, that they'll just let a you know these let them invade our airspace, right? And then only act when people get pissed off about it, when attention's brought to it. If no attention was brought to it, nothing would have happened. China still has not been held to account for their role in COVID getting out into the world. Whether it was accident or intentional, I don't care. They still have not been held to account for that. Why were you doing this research at this lab? Why was were the people there? so incompetent when it came to lab security and making sure things didn't get out. 
China still hasn't been held to account for their role in that. Next thing here, Social Security and Medicare are not sustainable in their current form. It's just not, right? I don't care. The, the Democrats, they want to cry and whine and, and, and point at Republicans and say they want to take away your Social Security. The Republicans don't want to take away Social Security. It, they know what that's what that looks like politically. They're they're not even doing that. It it needs to be reformed though. The the program Social Security and Medicare both programs not sustainable in their current form. Both are going to be broke and insolvent in the next ten to fifteen years. It's not even people making it up. It's it's actually a government uh, accountability board study that says yeah these are going to be insolvent in the next ten to fifteen years. Major reforms to both programs are needed, and both parties would prefer to put their head in the sand instead of dealing with the impending insolvency of both programs. Like I said, the Republicans are guilty too. Nobody wants to make the tough decision on this. And you know what's going to happen? Because nobody wants to make the tough decision on this, they're going to become insolvent, and people are going to lose their Social Security. They're going to lose coverage from Medicare. That's what's going to happen because there's not going to be any money there. And honestly, elected officials aren't the only ones that want to to put their head in the sand instead of dealing with this. The voters are equally as willing, as unwilling, excuse me, to accept the fact that the younger generations are not going to see any of the benefits that they paid in for. Really, both of these programs are Ponzi schemes. People are paying in now, and it's only what the people paying in now are only really sustaining the short-term payouts. There's no long-term viability of either program. We can see that's going to go broke. Nobody wants to do anything about it. People are paying in now, like myself. I'm still 20 plus years from retirement. I am not. I know I'm not going to see any of the benefits I paid in for. They're going. It's all gone. It's all going to be gone in in 10 years, 15 years. Our government continues to to spend at an unsustainable deficit level that pushes our nation closer to bankruptcy. We have no, uh, uh, we have no hope. Our, our interest payments now on our federal debt is more than the budget for the Department of Defense. That's unsustainable. How can, we can't, we're going to come to a point where we can't even make the interest payments anymore. That, that's the road we're heading down. We need to hold our elected officials accountable to spending only what we can take in or what we take in in, for, in, uh, in terms of tax revenue. That we have to have a budget. It has to be a balanced budget. We can't keep raising the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling should not be raised one more penny. Our budget, our federal budget should be balanced. If that means we stop sending money to Ukraine, then we stop sending money to Ukraine. If that means we stop sending money to all these pet projects around the country that really should be funded by the states, well, then that's what we have to do. The federal government wasn't set up to distribute money to the states. The states are there to decide what they want. Right? There are things like federal infrastructure. Okay, good. But to keep sending money to states, to shovel money into states for pet projects is ridiculous. I, as a a citizen of Wisconsin, should not be paying for construction projects in California. I shouldn't. My federal tax dollars go to support our national defense, to support our our, uh, national infrastructure, right? 
to, to support the operation of our federal government. And that's it. It's not to be shoveled to California or Texas or Washington or Maine or New York for pet projects for, you know, the people there. You want to take care of some of this stuff in your state? Like you want to have hotels for the homeless? Well, that's not a federal program. That's a state program. I should not be paying for homeless hotels in California. We need to balance the budget. This deficit spending needs to stop. We need to hold elected officials accountable on spending. We need to, uh, we, we need as consumers, or, or we as consumers, I should say, eventually hit our debt ceiling when we can no longer borrow money. We max out our credit cards. We max out the bank loans uh, that we can take out based on our income. The banks are going to look at and say, well, we're not going to give you any more money. The government should be held to that same standard. Now, that's a lot of negative stuff there. On the more positive side, I think it's been generations since we've seen the type of engagement in politics that we have today. Uh, people are energized. They are uh, making waves. They're moving and pushing our politicians in ways that you know these these old turtles haven't been pushed in decades. People are starting to wake up to how much power our politicians have usurped that really belongs to us. It doesn't belong to bureaucracy. It doesn't belong to elected officials. It belongs to us, the people. And we, the people, are taking it back. We are seeing more engagement in understanding our Constitution and the rights that it is in place to protect. We're understanding what the Constitution is. And, we understand, and we're starting to understand again that Government doesn't grant us rights. God grants us rights. The Constitution is in place to protect those rights from government overreach. It's not in place. It's not a document that says the government grants you these. No, these are rights we already have. The document's there to say the government cannot touch these rights. The government cannot overreach and overstep its bounds. And it has, and we've allowed it to happen. Session after session of Congress has usurped more and more uh, power and has really bastardized what the Constitution means. And we're seeing people, though, take up the, the mantle here in saying, let's put the federal government back in its bucket. And, and we're seeing that through a, the Convention of States. We're seeing that through who we are electing to office. We're electing constitutional conservatives. We are seeing a cultural shift as parents have woken up to the brainwashing our students are subjected to in government schools, and they are fighting back to get the propaganda and politics out of education and hopefully moving education back towards teaching the basics, reading, writing, and arithmetic, so we're, we're not, you know, a third-world country, right? We shouldn't have third-world education here. Education is not propagandist. Education is what it is. The math, the numbers are the numbers. Politics is shifting as the culture shifts. So we've got more America first, true conservatives that are being elected to office. And as we saw in the battle for the House Speaker, we, true conservatives and America first individuals, have now have some real power when it comes to pushing for agenda items that align with conservative principles. And I'm not talking about the conservative principles that, you know, Mitch McConnell might give lip service to. I'm like, true conservative principles. 
like what the House Freedom Caucus outlined as a condition for them to put their support, most of them anyway, put their support behind Kevin McCarthy for speaker. We have real power there now, and it's only growing. The leftist propaganda outlets designed or disguised as journalistic outlets continue to see their ratings and readership decline as people recognize that these entities continually lie to push the narrative their government handlers want them to push. They push these narratives so they keep getting the scoops. That's why they do it. It's entertainment. It's all, what all this stuff is is entertainment at this point. You have to go dig on your own to find the real story. People are realizing that, and CNN is, I, I don't even know how that's on air anymore. Same with MSNBC. How are these outlets on air anymore? They've lost so many viewers. New York Times lost so many readers. Washington Post laid off a bunch of journalists because they've lost a bunch of readers and a bunch of revenue. People are waking up. We've come to the point where we, the people, have drawn the line in the sand that we are no longer willing to cross and that we won't cross. We're going to take our country back. We're going to get back to conserving and uh, preserving our Constitution. We, the people, are pushing back. We're fighting back, and we're working to put officials in office who will put the voters first, who will put America first, who recognize what the Constitution is and should be. It's been a long, slow process to get here. This didn't, we didn't get here overnight. We didn't come to this point overnight. And it's going to be a long, slow process to move us back in the direction of American exceptionalism, to move us back in the direction of being a, a good constitutional republic. But we are, I believe, on that path, heading back in that direction. Before I go, don't forget to tune in live to Rexac Radio on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central for Laughs and Liberty with Tom and me. You can catch us live on Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, or Twitch. We'd love to engage with you all in the chats. It's always a good time. We get a lot of good questions and comments in there, and we interact with those live on the show. So join us 7 p.m. Central uh, for Laughs and Liberty. Again, Riverside FM, Rumble, YouTube, Twitch. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. 